Welcome to the Patriot Lessons American History and Civics Podcast. This episode is being released on President's Day 2023, and we have a treat for you as we turn back the hands of time to 2020, so you can listen to Judge Michael Warren's President's Day episode. But fear not, dear listeners, we shall return next episode to pick up where we left off in reviewing the Constitution. So sit back and enjoy this retro episode. And, as a bonus feature, we've included a brief musical interlude by the United States Army Old Guard and Fife Drum Corps from their tribute to George Washington. And so, without further ado, here is Episode 6. Welcome, my fellow patriots, to the Patriot Lessons American History and Civics Podcast, where we renew the spirit of America by learning about what makes America the greatest nation in world history, including our founding first principles, key documents and speeches, founding fathers and other great patriots, and flags and other key symbols of America. I am Oakland County Circuit Court Judge Michael Warren and co-creator of Patriot Week. This episode is a special edition regarding George Washington. President's Day is upon us, and this short deviation is most appropriate. We will continue our detailed review of the Declaration of Independence in our next episode. When we return, we will review the indispensable man and his continued contribution to American liberty today. Patriots, welcome back. In this special episode, we are discussing George Washington and his importance to American history and today. Born on February 22, 1732 in Westmoreland County, Virginia, George Washington was the leading personality of the founding era. As a young man, he wrote out rules for civility and decent behavior in company and conversation. If only we would follow these rules today. Here is a sampling. Quote, Speak not when you should hold your peace. Show not yourself glad at the misfortune of another, though he were your enemy. Strive not with your superior in argument, but always submit your judgment to others with modesty. When a man does all he can, though it succeed not well, blame not him that did it. Mock not your jest at anything of importance. Break no jest that are sharp, biting, and if you deliver anything witty and pleasant, abstain from laughing thereat yourself. Speak no injurious words, neither in jest nor earnest. Scoff at none, although they give occasion. Think before you speak. Pronounce not imperfectly, nor bring out your words too hastily, but orderly and distinctly. When another speaks, be attentive yourself, and do not disturb not the audience. If any hesitate in his words, help him not, nor prompt him without desired. Interrupt him not, nor answer him till his speech is ended. Be not apt to relate news, if you know not the truth thereof. When you speak of God or his attributes, let it be seriously, reverence, honor, 
and obey your natural parents, although they be poor. Wherein you reprove another, be unblameable yourself, for example is more prevalent than precepts. Be not hasty to believe flying reports to the disparagement of any. Associate yourself with men of good quality, if you esteem your own reputation, for tis better to be alone than in bad company. Let your conversation be without malice or envy, for tis a sign of tractable and commendable nature, and in all signs of passion permit yourself reason to govern. Never express anything unbecoming, nor act against the rules before your inferiors. Deride no man's misfortune, though there seem to be some cause. Labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. Unquote. Wow, his letters and other writings reveal great insights and wisdom. He began his career as a surveyor. However, at the age of 20, he became the adjunct general of one-third of the colony, was elevated to major, and supervised the militia. In 1753, he was given the task of personally delivering English demands to the French to leave Virginia, and traveled a grueling thousand-mile journey to complete his mission, nearly losing his life twice. He was probably the best horseman on the continent, and he had nerves of steel. He became quite famous when the narrative of his exploits were published. A plantation owner and large landholder, he had become a military leader during the French and Indian War and fought many engagements. In fact, Troops under Washington's commands fired the first shots of what then became the French and Indian War. Later on, he became a hero of British forces by saving them from total destruction. See, at the time, the British were not acclimated to fighting in the wilderness. The soldiers marched in uh, ordered lines, and officers rode on their horses with their big plumaged hats, making them conspicuous targets. Their French and Native American enemies knew how to use the forest to their advantage. They hid behind trees and ambushed the British forces. They targeted the mounted officers and picked them off one after another. Hence, the commanding general was slain very quickly in the ambush. Now, Washington was violently ill. He had basically been on a horse for 24 hours and should not have been in any shape to command troops. At the time, the Native American chief in charge of the battle ordered his troops to fire on Washington. After they fired 17 times and failed to hit him, although two horses were shot from under him, the chief ordered his warriors to stop targeting Washington and declared that Washington was blessed by the great spirit and would become the leader of a great empire someday. After Washington gathered his troops and escaped in an orderly retreat, he discovered that four bullet holes were in his overcoat, but he was never scratched. Personally, I think that's divine intervention. Eventually, he continued to be a war hero during the French and Indian War. During the period leading up to the Revolution, he was a strident advocate for liberty. Well before 1776, he was convinced that the British were in the wrong and that independence was inevitable. In a letter to George William Fairfax on June 10th of 1774, he wrote, quote, In short, the ministry may rely on it that Americans will never be taxed without their own consent, that the cause of Boston... The despotic measures in respect to them, I mean, now is and ever will be considered as the cause of America, and that we shall not suffer ourselves to be sacrificed by piecemeals, though God only knows what it is to become of us, threatened as we are with so many evils as hang over us at present. He continued that the British were, quote, endeavoring every piece of art and despotism to fix the shackles of slavery upon us, unquote. 
In a letter to Brian Fairfax, ironically enough, on July 4th of 1774, he rebuffed Fairfax's suggestion that reconciliation with the British should be pursued. Quote, As to your political sentiments, I would heartily join you in them, so far as it relates to a humble and dutiful petition to the throne, provided there was the most distant hope of success. But have we not tried this already? Have we not addressed the lords and remonstrated the commons? And to what end? Did they dine to look at our petitions? Does it not appear as clear as the sun in its meridian brightness that there is a regular, systematic plan formed to fix the right and practice of taxation upon us? Does not the uniform conduct of Parliament for some years past confirm this? Do not all the debates, especially those who have just been brought to us in the House of Commons on the side of the government, expressly declared that America must be taxed in aid of British funds and that she no longer has resources for herself? Is there anything to be expected from petitioning after this? Is not the attack upon the liberty and property of the people of Boston before restitution of the loss of the India Company was demanded a plain and self-evident proof of what they are aiming at? Do not the subsequent bills, now I dare say acts, for depriving the Massachusetts Bay of its charter and for transporting offenders into other colonies or to Great Britain for trial, where it is impossible for the nature of the thing that justice can be obtained, convince us that the administration is determined to stick at nothing to carry its point? Ought we not, then, to put out virtue and fortitude to the severest test? Unquote. In a letter later to Brian Fairfax, he dispelled the idea that it was the cost of the tea tax as opposed to liberty that was at issue and argued strenuously in favor of vigorous action to oppose British oppression. Quote, For, sir, what is it we are contending against? Is it against paying the duty of three pence per pound on tea? No, it is the right only. We have all long disputed, and to this end we have already petitioned His Majesty in as humble and dutiful manner as subjects could do. Shall we supinely sit and see one province after another fall a prey to despotism? If I was in any doubt as to the right which the Parliament of Great Britain had to tax us without our consent, I should most heartily coincide with you in opinion that to petition and petition only is the proper method to apply for relief, because we would then be asking a favor and not claiming a right, which by the law of nature and our Constitution we are, in my opinion, indubitably entitled to. I think the Parliament of Great Britain hath no more right to put their hands into my pocket without my consent than I have to put my hands into yours for money. Unquote. A towering figure, he was truly larger than life. In May of 1775, upon John Adams' nomination, the Second Continental Congress elected Washington as the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. This appointment was not something he relished. He wrote to his wife Martha when he was appointed, quote, When I assure you in the most solemn manner that so far from seeking this appointment, I have used every endeavor in my power to avoid it, not only from my unwillingness to part with you and the family, but from a consciousness of its being a trust too great for my capacity, and that I should enjoy more real happiness in one month with you at home than I have the most distant prospect of finding abroad if my stay were to be seven times seven years. But, as it has been a kind of destiny that has thrown upon me this service, I shall hope that my undertaking it is designed to answer some good purpose. You might, and I suppose did perceive from the tenor of my letters, that I was apprehensive I could not avoid this appointment, as it did not pretend to intimate when I should return. That was the case. It was utterly out of my power to refuse this appointment without exposing my character to such censures as would have reflected dishonor upon myself 
and given pain to my friends. This, I am sure, could not and ought not to be pleasing to you. It must have lessened me considerably in my own esteem. I shall rely, therefore, confidently upon that providence that which has hitherfore preserved and been bountiful to me, not doubting that I shall return safe to you in the fall. Unquote. It is a little remarkable. Washington thought he'd be back in the fall. He really didn't return for the seven years he alluded to earlier. In this position, he continued to explain the American position that the revolution was motivated by liberty and freedom, not by selfishness and greed. In a letter addressed to British subjects in Canada, he wrote in 1775, quote, We have taken up arms in defense of our liberty, our property, our wives, and our children. We are determined to preserve them or die. The cause of America and of liberty is the cause of every virtuous American citizen, whatever may be his religion or his descent. Unquote. Interestingly, Washington does not have a reputation as an inspiring or deep writer. Yet, listen to part of his general orders to the troops on July 2nd, 1776. Remember, this is the date in which Congress passed the resolution establishing independence from England. And then on July 4th is the declaration. Quote, The time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be free men or slaves, whether they are to have any property they can call their own, whether their houses and farms are to be pillaged and destroyed, and they consign to a state of wretchedness from which no human efforts will probably deliver them. The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Our cruel and unrelenting enemy leaves us no choice but a brave resistance, or the most abject submission. This is all we can expect. We have therefore to resolve to conquer or die. Our country's honor all call upon us for a vigorous and manly exertion, and if we now shamely fail, we shall become infamous to the whole world. Let us therefore rely upon the goodness of the cause and the aid of the Supreme Being, in whose hands victory is, to animate and encourage us to great and noble actions. The eyes of all of our countrymen are now upon us, and we shall have their blessings and praise if happily we are the instruments of saving them from tyranny mediated against them. Let us therefore animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth, unquote. I mean, come on. They don't make them like that anymore. Those are amazing words, so inspirational and aspirational. He was a man of tremendous character and fortitude. Through almost sheer willpower, Washington led the American army and faltering nation through a grueling and successful war against the mightiest empire on earth. You all know the story about Valley Forge, but it wasn't like that. It was worse, and it continued year after year. After many, many battles and struggling to maintain the army, he, with the help of the French Navy, captured the British army at Yorktown in 1781 and won American independence. Although he retired to his estate at Mount Vernon, he quickly realized that the Republic was in danger from another force because of the defects of the Articles of Confederation. The states had gone amok, violating citizens' rights and becoming embroiled in conflicts amongst each other, and Congress had nearly no power to check the states or fulfill the functions of a national government. On January 18, 1784, he wrote to Governor Benjamin Harrison, quote, 
The disinclination of the individual states to yield competent powers to Congress for the federal government, their unreasonable jealousy of that body and of one another, and the disposition which seems to pervade each, of being all-wise and all-powerful within itself, will, if there is no change in the system, be our downfall as a nation. This is clear to me as the ABC. And I think we have opposed Great Britain and have arrived at the present state of peace and independency to very little purpose if we cannot conquer our own prejudices, unquote. He continued, quote, For my own part, although I am returned to and am now mingled with the class of private citizens and like them must suffer all the evils of a tyranny or too great an extension of federal powers, I have no fears arising from this source in my mind, but I have many and powerful ones indeed which predict the worst consequences from a half-starved, limping government that appears to be always moving upon crutches and tottering at every step, unquote. As time passed, his concerns that the Republic would unravel became sharper. In a letter to James Warren in October of 1785, he wrote the stinging criticism of Congress in the Articles of Confederation. Quote, Jealousy and the local policy mix too much in all of our public councils for the good government of the Union. In a word, the Confederation appears to me to be little more than a shadow without the substance, and Congress a nugatory body, the ordinances being little attended to me. To me, it is a solecism in politics. Indeed, it is none of the most extraordinary things in nature that we should confederate as a nation and yet be afraid to give the rulers of the nation, who are the creatures of our making, appointed for a limited and short duration, and who are amenable for every action and recallable at any moment, and are subject to all the evils to which may be instrumental in producing sufficient powers to order and direct the affairs of the same. But such policy as this, the wheels of government are clogged, and our brightest prospects and the high expectation which was entertained of us by the wandering world are turned into astonishments, and from the high ground on which we stood, we are descending into the veil of confusion and darkness." Unquote. His views were shared by many. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and others called for a constitutional convention, and eventually it was convened. Madison basically had to beg Washington to come, and he finally conceded. Washington's invaluable presence lent the convention tremendous legitimacy. He became the president of the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia in 1787. His support proved crucial to the ratification of the Constitution through the states, especially in Virginia. In fact, in connection with Patriot Week, we celebrate Washington not because of his military experience or his bravery or even his monumental importance as the first president, but as the man who was necessary at the Constitutional Convention and the ratification of the Constitution. He literally forged the social compact with which we continue to live by today. So we celebrate him in connection with the founding first principle of the social compact. After the Constitution was ratified, he served two terms as the first president of the United States. He set the precedents and standards by which all future presidents would be held. His first inaugural address and farewell address are both remarkable. His appointment of Thomas Jefferson as Secretary of State and Alexander Hamilton as Treasurer set the stage for the dominant political actors and parties for decades. His voluntary retirement after two terms became a firmly fixed tradition that eliminated any risk of a president for life or dictatorship. Washington's impact on world history was remarkable. The skirmish he began started the French and Indian War, which led to taxation of the colonies without representation and British oppression, which led to the American Revolution and Washington becoming the commander of the Continental Army, which led to independence and Washington presiding over the Constitutional Convention and becoming president. 
when Washington had announced he would be voluntarily relinquishing power by retiring as president, his nemesis, King George III, stated that Washington was, quote, placed in a light the most distinguished of any man living, unquote, and was, quote, the greatest character of the age, unquote. No wonder, then, that in the wake of his death, the House of Representatives passed a resolution authored by Henry Lee that summarized America's thoughts on Washington, quote, first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen, unquote. Even this short review of his life reveals how he was the indispensable man. We could create a whole podcast on Washington's life, and maybe we'll do that someday, but that would be for a time later. In case you didn't know, President's Day doesn't really exist. The official holiday is still Washington's birthday, but modern culture and carpet and appliance sales, among other things, make it seem that we celebrate all the presidents. Very few are worthy of such an honor, but Washington is definitely the one who deserves his own day. Thank you for listening in this special episode of Patriot Lessons on George Washington. Next episode, we'll pick up with the Declaration of Independence. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you, our fellow patriots, for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate us. That is, if you're going to give us those five golden stars, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and many other platforms. You can also find much more at PatriotWeek.org, which includes videos, lesson plans, TV episodes, and many other goodies. Patriot Week is celebrated every year from September 11th, the anniversary of the terrorist attacks, through September 17th, the anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. It has been recognized by the U.S. Senate and many states. Patriot Week was started by then 10-year-old Leah Warren when she pounded on the table and demanded a new celebration of America. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Instagram, or reach out directly at mwarren at patriotweek.org. Also consider Judge Warren's book, America's Survival Guide, How to Stop America's Impending Suicide by Reclaiming Our First Principles and History by visiting americasurvivalguide.com, Amazon, or any other online retailer. Until next time, God bless you and God bless America.